this morning and for the next seven weeks, we want to encourage you to make space for the presence of God in your life. I think just by that video, we make space for a lot of things, but we want to encourage you for the next seven weeks to make space for life-giving rhythms, rhythms that bring life to you. And for the next seven weeks, we're going to inspire you. We're going to chat. I'm going to challenge you, excuse me. We're going to uh, create opportunities for you to uh, uh, move in rhythms that bring you life, that bring you closer to Christ. And we have a lot to get through this morning, but don't worry, we will get through it and we will get through it quickly. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, what you can do if you're taking notes, uh, we are going to read John 15. Actually, we're just going to read one verse. In fact, you don't have to go there. Uh, uh, it'll be up here on the screen. Uh, it'll be one verse today that is going to catapult us into the next seven weeks. Um, and so it is found in John 15, chapter 4. But I do encourage you this week to go back to John chapter 15 and maybe read the first 15 verses uh, for yourself and internalize it uh, because uh, it is just this entire section of John is incredible. It's literally the last words of Jesus. Some of the the last things that he's going to say to his disciples before he dies. And we all know that last words are always the most important words. And so I want to encourage you even to go back there. But John chapter 15 verse 4 reads like this. Abide in me. This is Jesus speaking. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Abide, abide, abide in me, Jesus says. Jesus invites all of his disciples to abide in the vine and bear much fruit. This is an invitation by Jesus for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus to make a home in Christ, to connect to him, to unite in him, to remain with him, to live with him. It's an invitation to the good life, to experience his presence daily and to be transformed as a result of cultivating rhythms of abiding in the vine. And here's the best part. The fruit of this abide would be Christ-likeness. That as we'd learn to yield ourselves, submit ourselves over to these rhythms of life, Grace would mold us into a people of joy, a people of peace, and a people of unconditional love. That we'd bear much fruit. Fruit the Apostle Paul would later identify as the fruit of the Spirit. That we would be a people of love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness and self-control and those fruits the fruit of the spirit would be the distinguishing factor of the church not a great kids ministry not a talented or gifted preaching ministry not really cool songs and lights and sounds 
but a community of Jesus followers who look like him and love like him. A community who produces the kind of fruit that others could taste and see that God is good. Let me ask you a question. What kind of fruit is your life producing? And when people bite into that fruit, is it bitter or is it pointing to the goodness of Christ? The question for all of us becomes, how do we abide? How do we abide? In a hectic and overstimulated world where you're inundated with screens. How many screens do you have in your home? Count them. Include your phones, your iPads, your computers, your televisions. And not just your television in one space, but in multiple spaces. You can walk into a home and our entire homes are built around the TV. Our couches are set up facing the TV. Our chairs are set up facing the TV. In a hectic and overstimulated world, how do we slow down to be with Jesus? How do we participate in the kind of abiding rhythms that lead us to life? Life. I want you to listen to what author and theologian Ronald Roheiser said. You ready? Today, a number of historical circumstances are blindly flowing together and accidentally conspiring to produce a climate within which it is difficult not just to think about God or to pray, but to simply have an interior depth whatsoever. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. He goes on to say, it's not that we have anything against God, depth, and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. So for the next seven weeks, we're going to invite you to slow down. Some of you are already like, oh, I can't slow down. We're gonna, you're already panicked about slowing down. For the next seven weeks, we're going to invite you to slow down. Are you ready? Take inventory of those rhythms that are shaping you right now and invite you to reorient, reorient your life around God's transforming rhythms of life. So before we get into today's message, let's pray. Holy Spirit, you are the one who is here shaping and transforming us. And so as we listen to the word, as we remain in the love of Christ. Holy Spirit, you are here shaping and molding us. You are inspiring us. You are creating desires in us. Even right now as we listen to this opening, we want to be better people, New Year's resolutions. But Father, I pray that you would do something through your spirit in all of us and in this church that will impact us, not just for the next seven weeks, but for the next hundred years. Lord willing that you have us here. So I pray, Lord, that everyone listening to this message, those that are online, those that are in this room, those that will go back later on in the week on the podcast and listen, I pray, Lord, that it would be inspired and motivated by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So the question becomes, how do we abide? How do we remain in Christ? How do we unite in him? How do we live with Jesus? And for centuries, the church has asked this same question. Ever since John 15, when Jesus told his disciples to abide in me and bear much fruit, the question has been, as a follower of Christ, how do I abide? And for centuries, the church has turned it to a tool that we're going to talk about today called a rule of life. You may be familiar with this tool. You may not be familiar with this tool. But for the next several weeks, we are going to unearth this tool. We're going to unearth this ancient practice and engage in it together as a church. And so today I want to invite you to just be prayerful in your heart and your mind. Open up your heart and your mind to what the Spirit might be saying, how he might be leading you as I talk about what we plan to do as a church together and we'll be looking at this tool called the rule of life. And so in today's intro message, we're going to answer three questions. Are you ready? Number one, what is a rule of life? Number two, where did the idea of a rule of life come from? And number three, how will we practice a rule of life together at Inspire Church for the next several weeks? Amen? So let's talk about what is a rule of life. Now, this is an ancient phrase. And this ancient phrase can sound a little intimidating to our modern ears. Let me explain why. There are some of us in this room right now, you're a recovering legalist. You know what a recovering legalist is? You lived your life off of laws and rules. Don't do this, can't do this, thou shall not, thou shall not, thou shall not. Can't go to the movies, can't go to dances, can't wear shirts this low, this high, this good. Everywhere you've been, you have been a legalist. And so you are a recovering legalist. And so rules can trigger you. Some of us in here, are you ready, suffer from a kind of PTSD because we came from a cult-like experience in previous churches where rules and laws were were used to manipulate us and control us. And still, there are others in this room that might have bought into the cultural narrative that rules constrain us. Don't tell me what to do with my life. That rules restrict us from our freedoms and that, that nothing or no one can tell me who I am or what I'm supposed to do. And so when you hear the phrase rule of life, you're probably triggered in one way or another. But can I just say this? It's not rules for life. It's a rule of life, singular. So let me tell you a little bit about this phrase. The word rule comes from the Latin word regula. It's where we get words like regular or regulation or ruler. A rule of life is simply an intentional reordering of our lives around abiding rhythms that bring life. A rule of life is intentionally taking inventory of your rhythms and reorienting and reordering them in a way that would bring you closer to the vine of Jesus Christ so that you may be a person of good fruits. In this way, a rule of life is actually freeing because it can become a grace. Are you ready? That helps us meet our greatest need and fulfill our greatest desire. Let me explain that. What what do I mean when I say great desire and a great need? 
I want you to know that we all have a great desire to be with God. You know that? You know that deep down we all have a longing to connect with the divine. People don't know who that divine is. And you can look all over our culture and world and they, they define the divine in many different ways. They look to spirituality, whether it's through religion and laws and rules, or it's freedom, and it's yoga, it's participating and breathing and meditating and connecting to this spark or this divine being or whatever the case may be. All of humanity has this desire to connect with the divine. We have a deep desire, and as followers of Christ and believers in the word, theologically, we believe that we were created, all mankind, in the image of God, that God gave us his image that he created us for worship he created us for relationship to be in community with the triune God who's been eternally in community we have this deep desire this deep longing to connect with the divine to experience the beauty and pleasure of the presence of the one who created us for his glory all of us have it and because we have this deep desire we have a great need. And that need is we all need some kind of order in our lives. Some kind of support structure that draws us to God and, and holds us in this abiding place. Because we're prone to wander. Like even right now, right? Like after our tension spans. We wander. It's okay. We wander. Our imaginations wander. Pastor Bill's preaching and, and I'm going to start thinking about what I'm going to eat later. What I'm going to do. Or the 49er game. And who's going to start today? Trey Lance. I'm thinking about that while I'm preaching. Like we are prone to wander. And so we need something that will not only bring us to God but hold us in that abiding place. So we have a great desire to be with God, and we have a great need. We need order in our lives. I want you to think of it this way. In the same way God brought order to the cosmos in Genesis 1. You see how he worked in order day one, day two, day three, and, and, and in each day he ordered things and structured things in the same way that God brought order to the cosmos in the same way God shined light into the darkness, a rule of life empowered by the Spirit can bring God's divine order into our lives. Are you with me? A rule of life can bring God's divine order into our hectic and chaotic lives in the same way that it was chaotic and the spirit hovered and in the void and darkness, the, the word of God spoke and the light of God lit everything up and there began to be divine structure and order and beauty in that same way. The word of God can bring light to a hectic and chaotic world that needs structure and order. I want to read to you a couple of authors' definitions of a rule of life. One that we're familiar with, uh, Peter Scazzaro. He's the author of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. He said this, shallow Christianity is hurting the church. A rule of life is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. Rich Violotis, author of A Deeply Formed Life, 
And pastor church in New York says this, more than resolutions or goal setting, a rule of life is not a to-do list. A rule of life is different from a New Year's resolution because resolutions are often about willpower. A rule is about submitting to the spirit-empowered practices that share our lives more like Christ. Stephen Makia, author of a book called Crafting a Rule of Life, said this. A rule of life is a holistic description of the spirit-empowered rhythms and relationships. Are you ready? That create, redeem, sustain, and transform. And to go back to John 15, Jesus uses the metaphor, I am the vine, you are the branches. A rule of life is a tool that helps disciples abide in the vine. In fact, that Latin word regula was also used to refer to a trellis. Has anybody ever been to wine country or seen a vineyard or maybe in your backyard you have vines that grow up? They need a trellis. A trellis is the support structure that holds the vine. A regula is also used, the word used to refer to a trellis. The trellis is the support structure that helps the branches on a vine. Are you ready? It helps the branches grow up. Literally grow up. The trellis not only directs the branches to grow up toward the sun, but it also creates the necessary space for branches to maximize their production of fruit. A vine without a trellis will grow wild branches that produce minimal fruit. And the fruit that those wild branches do produce, they'll grow low to the ground, making them vulnerable for predators to come along and eat and disease. Does this sound like your Christian walk? Okay, I'm the only one, me and Becca. So when Jesus said, abide in the vine and bear fruit, his early followers reasoned that in order for them to be fruitful, they needed some kind of trellis, some kind of support structure, a rule of life that would help them remain in the vine so that they could what? Bear fruit, love, joy, unconditional love, agape love. Not love the way the world defines love, but love the way that Christ defines it. Are you a person of peace? Are you a person of love? Are you a person of joy, gentleness, faithfulness, long-suffering, kindness? Now, if I were you, I might be a little discouraged right now. I know I was. But can I just say this? A rule of life (laughs) is not meant to be something that you add on to an already overwhelmed and depleted life. Right? Oh, gosh, here we go. What is pastor going to ask us to do? Right? Just another thing to add on. Just another thing to put on our to-do list. Right? We got to go back to work this week. And we got to help our kids with school this week. And we got a birthday next week. And we got a company party this week. And we got church on Sunday. And we got to serve next week. Right? There's all of these to-do lists. And it can be discouraging. You say, man, I got to add yet another thing to my already overwhelmed calendar. I'm depleted. But can I just encourage you and say that you already have a rule of life. Do you know that? 
You know you already move in rhythms? You have a morning routine. (laughs) You have sleep habits, eating habits, spending habits. You have a gym schedule, a work schedule. You schedule breaks. You schedule lunches. You schedule days off. You schedule vacations. You create space in your days to listen to your favorite music. You create space in your evening to binge watch your favorite shows, Netflix. You scroll through your feeds and view your favorite makeup tutorials. The goal here isn't to shame you, but to inspire you. Are you ready? To audit your current habits and take inventory of your current rhythms. And here's the key. The question isn't, do you have a rule of life? We all do. But the question is, what is your rule of life? And are you ready for this? What kind of person is it making you become? The question isn't, do I have rhythms? The question isn't, do I have a rule of life? We all have rhythms. But the question becomes, what are your rhythms? And then how are those rhythms forming and shaping and fashioning your life? How is the news forming and shaping and fashioning your life? How is the the Netflix movie forming and shaping and fashioning your life? You know what's cool is that we no longer ask, and this is, I was listening to, this whole year has been a journey for me on a rule of life. I've been trying to build one for myself. This past year, I've been reading books. If you want to know more about it, I'd love to give you more about it. We're going to be spending the next seven weeks talking about this, but what I really love too is, I'm trying to get out of goal-oriented, and I'm trying to get more formational-oriented. Because when you say goals, there's like a start and an end date. But when you say formation, it's just like, man, I'm, I'm just trusting the Holy Spirit to be conformed in the image of Jesus. And it never stops. And I'm forming my life. And when I think of formation, and one thing I heard a pastor say, it was so, so good, so good. And uh, he said this, is that he no longer looks at things as whether they're right or wrong. What do I mean by that? Like, should I listen to this music, <laughs> right? Is, you know, is it a sin to listen to this song? Those of you who've been in Christianity for a long time, this is just a, should I watch this show? You feel really convicted when you're watching a show and there's like soft porn, right? Like, I mean, you know some of the stuff on Netflix, right? I mean, I'm watching stuff that I'm really enjoying, like I really love it, super gritty, and then all of a sudden, boom. And you're like trying to fast forward the clips, like this is my life, Right? And and we typically watch things and we're thinking to ourselves, like, oh, you know, is this right or is this wrong? Should I go here? Should I hang out with this person? Should I go to the club? Should I not go to the club? Should I date? Is it a sin or is it not a sin? Here's a real cool thing about when you think formationally. You no longer ask yourself, is it a sin or is it not a sin? But you ask yourself, who is this forming me to become? Like, is this habit, this rhythm Moving me towards Christ's likeness. Like, am I building up fruit of love and joy and peace? Or, or, or is this making me or turning me into something else? Are you with me? Again, the goal here isn't to shame you. It's to inspire you. Audit your current habits and ask yourself, who are they causing me to become? 
Are they helping me become more like Christ? Do you find yourself growing in joy, peace, and unconditional love? Or are you becoming more like the world? More anxious, angry, irritated, addicted, fearful, insecure, always worrying, always talking about your body, your image, always in a rush. Are your current rhythms bringing you life or are they killing you slowly? I was listening to a podcast this week that I had listened to actually early in the year, um, and I wanted to go back to it. Uh, I, I remembered a stat that they had talked about, and the stat was this. Did you know that 93% of Americans sleep next to their phone? Like when you go to bed, you put your phone somewhere close. And 76% of them check their phones in the morning. So that means that for many of us, our timelines, our news feeds, our work emails are not only the last thing that we see before we go to sleep, but the first thing that we check before we go to bed. It's quiet. It's really quiet in this room. We have some college-age students. We have some People at different high schoolers in this room. We have people at different walks of life. But I want you to know that your, your feed is feeding you. Your, your brain is being formatted and shaped. And what's really crazy about social media is that you're the product. It's free. You know social media is free, right? You don't have to pay for it. Because you're the product. Someone else is paying for you. Advertisement is paying, right? And algorithms are paying attention. Like you're being formed and shaped already. And so the stuff that you see on your feed, the stuff that comes to you in the form of advertisements, the places that it sends you is based off of your entire way that you just sit and enjoy. Christians, we have to be aware algorithms are forming us. Your political agenda is being formed. You know that? It's being formed. It's proven. It's being formed and shaped. What you think about the vaccines being formed and shaped, we are all submitting to somebody's word. Everyone has experts, right? Everyone has experts in this room. And those experts are all informing you and causing you to lead your life in different ways. I'm just saying that we are all being formed and shaped by a word. Somebody's word. And I'm just asking that you would reevaluate. You would take inventory, reorient your life around the word of God. The rhythms that bring life. Um, after hearing that statistic, I was one of those who went to bed and put my, you guys, my wife, I put my phone right on the windowsill. And then I wake up in the morning, it was the first thing I look at. And go on Twitter. It was my newspaper. It was my modern day newspaper. I used to tell people, like, well, why are you on Twitter all the time? Well, you know what? Like back in the day, they didn't have phones, they had a newspaper. That's how they kept, that was the first thing they read. And so your newspaper is, you may not have a phone, and you might be looking at these young bucks, you know, but you have rhythms. You have news feeds, y'all with me? 
And so actually one of the things that I did really early on, and again, I'm not here to be applauded because, but one of the things I started doing is I take my phone and I put it in my office at night. And so when I go to bed, it's literally in the other room. It's not the last thing that I'm looking at. And when I wake up, I just practice now waking up. I take at least like five minutes just while I'm waking up, I'm kind of groggy, but I begin to just thank God. Every morning I try to wake up and I try to thank God for what happened the day before, and I try to cover the rest of my day. God, I, today I'm going to be sermon prepping. Will you just be with me? Will you just open my mind and heart to your presence today? I don't spend two hours. I spend like five minutes as I'm kind of waking up. I'm not adding into my life. Because here's what I would have done. If I would not have put my phone away, guess what? The ten, first ten minutes of my day, I would have scrolled. Anybody with me? Yeah. Okay. Do I get it right 100% of the time? No. Are there many times where I wake up, I get up in the morning, and I'm going into my office, and I grab my phone? Yes. But I'm going to tell you what. I have built a rule of life now. I don't go to sleep with the phone near me. And the majority of the time, because it's no longer there, the majority of the time, I am doing my prayer routine versus my scroll routine. So what is a rule of life? It's a structure. It's a trellis. It's something to come alongside you to help you abide in the vine so that you would produce much fruit. Where did this idea of a rule of life come from? That's my next question I want to answer. Where did this idea come from? And I want to dig a little into church history. Okay? Y'all with me? So... Uh, uh, though the phrase rule of life was not used by the early church, we see the rule of life in Acts 2. In fact, the Holy Spirit falls, and then literally the church, thousand, a thousand people are saved after this upper room experience. Peter stands up, Peter preaches, and people give their life to Jesus, and that's the birth of the church. So the question becomes, now that there are a thousand people in Peter's uh, church, what do we do next? Well, what we're told in Acts 42 is that the church began to form intentional rhythms. Do you know that? They formed an intentional community, and that community was built around regular rhythms. They were not just defined by their faith in Christ, but they were also defined by their habits. Do you know that? Acts 42. Acts 2.42. What were their habits? They had habits of gathering, giving, Praying, serving, eating meals together, studying the word together, baptizing and taking communion. They did this day by day. Rhythms, habits, a system, a structure for the church of Jesus Christ to come together to not only be encouraged but to abide in the vine and what? Produce fruit. These rhythms not only separated them from the world but they were practices of grace that the Spirit used to transform them into the image of Christ. In fact, did you know that before they were called Christians, you know what the early followers of Jesus were called? They were called followers of the way. A rule of life is simply a way of life that looks like Jesus. And for the next 400 years, Christianity would be heavily persecuted. To be a Christian meant that it would cost you something, possibly even your life. 
I'm reading a book called Water from a Deep Well. I'm going to quote that in a moment. But in the first chapter, it talks about being a witness for Christ. And it talks about the martyrs in the early third, second and third century. And how Christians were thrown into the stadiums, thrown into the lion's den. And they, they talked about martyrs in particular. There's a woman by the name of Petra, I believe her name was. I believe her name is, it's something with a P. But nonetheless, she just sticks with me in how she was brought before the Romans and how she was a a woman of esteem and came from a a family of money, but how she denied it all and refused to give up her faith in Christ. And she was tortured and killed. You read these stories about the witness of the martyrs refusing to give up their faith in Jesus, dying for their faith. For the, first, for the first 300, 400 years, Christianity would be heavily persecuted. To be a Christian meant that it would cost you something, possibly even your life. But then something happened. The Roman, there was a Roman emperor by the name of Constantine. He converted to Christianity in the fourth century. And overnight, it felt like Christians stopped being persecuted. Amen? Christianity actually became favorable. And we're told that, that what would once cost you everything now became a fad hmm, in Rome. Interesting what happens when Christianity gets into power, right? Christ always came from a place of weakness to strength. But once Constantine converted and it became the Roman state's official religion, all of a sudden it no longer cost you anything to be a Christian. That interesting? Christianity became favorable, became a fad. And as one commentator put it, the narrow road became wider. Everybody who's doing it. Now watch this. Frustrated by this kind of watered down and culturally compromised faith, communities of Christians fled the cities to live a life of solitude in the desert. And what they did was they developed countercultural communities and they lived together around what would be called a rule of life, a shared rhythms. And this is what gave birth to the first monasteries, Christian monasteries. We have St. Patrick actually had a rule of life. Uh, 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 Augustine, Augustine, however you want to pronounce his name, had a rule of life. But also with St. Benedict and the Benedictine order whose rule of life is actually still used in monasteries today. Most, and what's really interesting about these monasteries, most monastic rhythms, their rules revolve around two central themes, prayer and work. Those are the two guiding principles. Uh, and really what, the, what these monasteries believe with prayer and work, they believe that these two themes represents God's creative, creative purpose for all of humanity, prayer and work. Prayer and work. And so that as a follower of Christ, we are to build our life around the rhythms of prayer and the rhythms of work. Prayer, on one hand, is considered the inward movement of the soul. Prayer transforms our insides. So these communities, these monastic communities, were built around rhythms of uh, 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 meditation, silence, and solitude where they would spend days, a monastic bell would ring, 
And seven to eight times a day when that bell rang, they were to stop everything they were doing and they were to pray. Uh, uh, also, some other rhythms were prayerful rest, Sabbath keeping. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks. There were days where they stopped work 100% and in that enjoyed the pleasure of God. So it's prayerful studying of the scripture, prayerful meditation, prayerful silence and solitude, prayerful rest. And then there was work, rhythms of work, work of community, work of hospitality, work of vocation with their hands going to work. And so they believed that prayer was the inward movement of the soul, that the Spirit would use prayer to transform the insides. And then they believed work, on the other hand, is an outward move of renewal in the world. And so you had inner transformation of the soul and the heart, and then you had this outward renewal of the world, that once the inward man was being renewed and transformed day by day, that now it was empowered to go out into the world and bring God's goodness and blessing and order to the world. Anybody with me? In his book, Water from a Deep Well, Gerald Sitzer's the author. Listen to what he says. I'm going to read a long quote, but this is really a good read. God calls his people to two principal duties, prayer and work. Prayer draws us to God. Work sends us into the world. Prayer centers and quiets us. Work energizes us. Prayer restores us to God. Work allows us to participate in God's restoration of the world. Jesus himself followed this rhythm. He withdrew into the wilderness to pray and then returned to the world to preach the good news, heal the sick, cast out demons, confront injustice, and eventually suffer and die for the sins of the world. We divide these two activities at our peril. On the one hand, without work, prayer becomes root, vacuous and irrelevant, an empty discipline that shows little evidence of a deep concern for the world. It loses its purpose, lacks passion, turns inward, serves the self. We mouth the words, but there is nothing at stake. It does not seem to matter much whether our prayers are answered or ignored. On the other hand, without prayer, work becomes an idol. We work to make money, to gain power and prestige, to advance our careers. We become presumptuous too, thinking that our work can accomplish good things without actually relying on God for wisdom and power. Isn't that interesting? Prayer and work meant to go together in a life that is out of balance, tilts in one way or the other. Prayer, the inward work of the soul, bringing transformation and work, bringing you out to the world so that that fruit can be tasted by everyone to see that God is good, that we would partner with God in his cosmic mission to bring all things back to himself. And here's a fascinating fact. It's really interesting. For the first 400 years, the church debated theology. Right, so after the apostles had died, and the church continued to move forward, the church fathers started to come and debate. They had the Nicene Creed at Nicaea. They had all these different creeds and all these different, uh, 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 um, uh, uh, what they called ecumenical councils where people would come together and discuss the deity of Jesus and look back and reflect and heretics would come out and say, well, Jesus wasn't fully God and they debate about it. It was much needed. For the first 100 years, the early church fathers debated on theology, but once they got that right, and we need that, we needed that. 
But once they got that right, from the fourth century to the Reformation, the debates turned to a rule of life. Now that they knew what to think of God, they were now trying to figure out how to live that knowledge out. How to live that knowledge out. There's uh, a pastor, theologian, um, famous, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, Cost of Discipleship is a really great book. I really recommend that if you're looking for books to read this year, The Cost of Discipleship. But uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Nazi Germany. And in Nazi Germany, uh, um, he established underground Christian communities and, and seminaries. And they all revolved, revolved around these kind of rhythms of life together. And what was really powerful about these seminaries is that they trained pastors to resist Nazism. Because, you know, there was a compromised church in Germany. There was a Christian church that compromised and started to follow Nazism. And so this pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, committed his life. to. In fact, he came to America and they offered him sanctuary. But he decided to go back because he couldn't see Germany fall. So he went back to Germany and he started an underground seminary where he trained pastors to resist Nazism, to live together in rhythms of life. Are you with me? And his seminary was located near a Nazi training camp where they uh, trained their soldiers. And there's a story. um, There's a story that one of his friends thought he was going a little crazy, like he was doing too much, like he was going over the top. And so one of her friends went to uh, visit him. In fact, Pastor John Tyson tells this story in one of his books. And uh, the friend went to visit him. And basically, you know, the insinuation was the friend was going to go there to tell him, amen, like you, you're, you're, you're going over the deep end. And the story is, is that Dietrich took his friend on a hill And on one side of the hill was the Nazi training camps. And the other side of the hill was where the underground seminary was. And he said, see, we have to train them more than they're being trained. So he says, see, we have to train them in these rhythms. We have to train them in this way of life. We have to train them stronger than this Nazi camp is training their soldiers. This seminary must be stronger than that Nazi camp. And later before... Dietrich Bonhoeffer actually died in a concentration camp. Bonhoeffer made this statement. He said, the renewal of the church will come from a new type of monasticism. The renewal of the church will come from a new type of monasticism. And though most of us in this room can't sell everything and move to the desert, I promise you we're not going to do that. (laughs) What if I did that, right? Inspired church, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to put all our money together and move to the desert. Some of you be like, man, that's a cult. We're never coming back to that, right? Then we'll have to have a Dietrich Bonhoeffer conversation. But nonetheless, uh, though most of us, we have families. <laughs> we have careers, right? We have all of these. We have bills to pay. Um, though we can't sell everything and move to the z- desert, we can be a part of a church that participates in life-giving get- rhythms together intentionally, intentionally, together as a community. And so the final question is, and we're going to get real practical here, is um, how will we practice a rule of life together? I told you over the course of the next seven weeks, 
uh, we are going to engage in a small rule of life together. Um, and I hope that this will not only be something we do for the next seven weeks, I hope that Inspired Church would be just inspired for years to come, that this would be actually something that we pour into the foundation of who we are as a church. But we're definitely going to experiment as a project for the next seven weeks in this. And we want to invite you to consider taking this experiment with us. And so here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to just kind of give you a couple of steps, really practical right now. You know how some churches have altar calls? You ever been to a church with altar calls? Amen. Yeah, we have some people like, Philip, where are those altar calls at, Pastor Phil? Right, let's have those altar calls. But let me tell you, this is your altar call. You may not be coming to an altar, but this is saying when you leave here, you do what the word has told you to do. Even greater than someone putting their hands on you and you falling out is you walking out here being obedient to the word. So here's your altar call to get very practical. Are you ready? Number one, I want to invite you, everyone in this room, to take this week to pray and to consider going on a 30-day journey with us. I want you to pray and I want you to take this week to consider going on a 30-day journey with us as we begin an experiment with the entire church with a church-wide rule of life, okay? So I want you to take this week to experiment. Actually, not experiment. Take this week to pray and decide this is something you like to do. Number two, um, here's what the journey is gonna look like. We've simplified our rule of life. A rule of life can get deep. A rule of life is holistic, you could talk about your body, your mind, your soul, exercising. All of those things are so important, but we're just focusing on some of these spiritual rhythms for now, okay? And so what we're going to do is we've simplified a rule of life for the entire church, and we have identified four core practices that we want to practice together for 30 days. Are you ready? Y'all with me? Four core practices that we want to practice for 30 days. The first one is this. We want to practice. It's going to be simple. Some of you are going to like, well, I have to do this. Well, praise God, brother or sister. But there's a lot of people ain't doing this. Right? We want to get, some of you are like, man, I want to get to the meat of the word, pastor. I'm like, man, we, some of us need, there's a lot of people need some milk. So if you're already at the meat, just take a bottle and help feed someone else, okay? That's what you're called to do anyway. All right. Just want to say that for all my experienced believers in the house. Um, we've simplified a rule of life, four core practices that we're going to do for 30 days. The first one is this. It's a daily reading, okay? A daily reading. We want to read one psalm a day for 30 days, okay? One psalm a day for 30 days. One psalm a day for 30 days. And what we want to do is we want to meditate on that psalm and write and journal. We want to journal it, okay? So that's the, the first one is a daily reading. Second is daily prayer. All right, there's no rocket science here. <laughs> Second one is daily prayer. So what do we want to do? We want to do 30 minutes of prayer to start our days in the morning and then 30 minutes of prayer to finish our days. Are you with me? So 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes in the afternoon or in the evening, that'll equal one hour a day of prayer. You ready for the next one? The next rhythm is weekly fasting. So we want to fast breakfast and lunch every Wednesday for six weeks, okay? That you, would, that you would just resolve that every Wednesday for six weeks, you're going to wake up and you're going to forego breakfast and you're going to forego lunch so that the spirit can mold you into the image of God so that he could speak to you throughout the day. You could deny your belly, deny your flesh so your spirit man could be fed. Amen. So we have one daily reading, a daily prayer. We have weekly fasting. And then the, the, the fourth one is weekly attending. 
weekly attending. We want you to practice making Sunday service a regular habit for you and your family. And here's what you have to look forward to. I'm gonna give you the lineup for the next seven weeks. So we want you to just make a habit of being here every Sunday, taking notes and being ready to be filled, amen? So number one, next week we'll kick this off. We're gonna talk about prayer. So next week we are gonna talk about praying. And what do I mean by that? We're gonna talk about overcoming busyness and distraction to make time to be with Jesus. That's next week. The following week we'll talk about fasting. Are you with me? Denying our flesh in order to build up our spirit. Amen? The following week we'll talk about reading, talk about the scriptures, renewing your mind by the washing of the word. The Sunday after that we'll talk about discerning, knowing God's will in the midst of many voices and many choices. Some of you play like Russian roulette. You really need to know how to discern. Some of you walk around wanting a prophet to tell you what to do. That's how you discern God's will. Find someone who's like gifted in prophecy and like a fortune cookie, man. Just open up and tell me. God doesn't ordinary work like that. He desires to shape your mind so that you would be, have the mind of Christ. And so we want to talk about what does it mean to discern. Some of you have been in a discernment. You're trying to figure out, should I move or should I not move? Should I date him or her? Should I not? Right? Should I take this new job? Should I get in this new position? Should I do this? Should I do that? Some of you right now, spiritually, God, should I go to this place? Should I go to that place? You just have all these questions, and you just wish he would just say yes. Right? You just wish you would be in the mall, and someone would come up to you and say, you know what? Whatever you're thinking, yes. The Lord says yes. You're like, wait a minute. I'm thinking like 30 things, and 29 of them are sinful. (laughs) Right? So we want to teach you how to discern the will of God. So praying, fasting, reading, discerning, week five, working. So we're going to talk about putting my faith to work at work. What does it look like to honor God in your vocation, right? For most of us, Sunday morning is the most we do. But what does it look like Monday through Friday at your job place to be a person of presence? And then we're going to move on to the next one, which I think is going to be really hard for all of us, resting. We're going to talk about a Sabbath. What does it mean to trust God? to do the work. (laughs) What does it mean to trust God to do the work? Trust God that he's working when you're resting. Okay, and then finally, giving, giving. Breaking the bondage of materialism through generosity as worship. So again, for the next seven weeks, we're gonna talk about praying, fasting, reading, discerning, working, resting, and giving. Amen? Amen. And here's a bonus rhythm for you to consider, okay? Community. You don't have to take this journey alone. For the next few weeks, Inspired Church will be living in these rhythms together. So find some friends. Get your spouse. Find a few people to take this journey together with. Create a small group. Engage in these rhythms together. Call each other on the phone. Get on a text thread. Go on Zoom or meet in person. Be very careful. Very careful doing that. But nonetheless, find some time to do these rhythms with other people. To hold each other accountable and to encourage one another. Amen? Amen. Now let me give you some encouragement for the journey. Number one, this journey should be grace-based and not shame-based. Are you with me? This journey should be grace-based and not shame-based. What does that mean? 
That means that you probably will miss and mess up. If you make a mistake, skip a day. You pray 15 minutes instead of 30. <laughs> Just adjust and keep going. Like, oh man, don't stop everything. I'm terrible. And I didn't. Don't do that. This is formational. Everything you do is forming you. Even if it's 10 minutes, it's 10 minutes longer than what you've been doing before. Even if it's just putting your phone away. Like, it's what you've been, it's a little bit more. You're being formed a little bit more into the image of Christ. And so if you make a mistake or you don't hold to this perfectly, don't kill yourself, beat yourself up, formal legalists, those that are recovering PTSD from cult-like places, let me just say this. Let grace infuse you. Jesus is worthy. Let his cross and his work then fill you up to move and don't make an excuse well this is works don't let that excuse come in your head yes this is works James tells us we need faith and works together but our works are fueled by the blood of Jesus and so we don't do this to get his affection he already loves us we do it from affection okay back here grace base I got music up. They're telling me it's time to go. I, I knew I'd be long today. Remember, the goal is formation, not perfection. And so here's what we want you to do. We want you to sign up. We want you to sign up. Um, let us know you're taking this journey with us. We're not keeping score. We're not telling God. Like, it's not Santa Claus, right? Keeping the list. Um, we have a website. On our website, there's a QR code. Take a picture. On our website, we have it all shaped out for you. So you're going to go to our website. You'll click in rhythms. There'll be me, my little face, giving you an introduction, a video, just a quick little write-up on our work and prayer rhythms. And then we'll have you sign up, and we'll send you an email that'll detail everything, okay? So it's like, well, man, I didn't get you. Phil, you went too fast. We'll have an email that'll detail it all out, okay? So you sign up. You'll get an email detailing all our rhythms, We'll also be providing a daily podcast featuring a new guest every morning. And so I've asked about 25 people, and some of them are going to do two in a row. So for 30 days, when we start this, every morning at 6 a.m., we're going to release a podcast for your commute, whether you're driving somewhere or coming home. And each podcast is just going to go deeper in the previous message. So we talk about prayer week one. Then every podcast that week is going to be about 15 to 30 minutes tops of somebody coming on talking about testimony to praying giving you strategies for prayer. All there, every day. We'll be uploading. So if you're not following us on our podcast, follow us. You'll get the update. Um, and every day you'll have something to listen to to encourage you a little bit more. Um, we'll we're gonna send you a Zoom link as well um, for those of you who sign up. And every Wednesday that we fast, we'll open up our Zoom from 6 a.m. to 6.45 in the morning. Just quick, just to come in there to pray in the morning, start your morning. You can only be a couple of minutes in there, that's fine. But we're going to open up that space. Some, a pastor will be in there. When you come in, we'll read scripture together, and we'll just say a prayer to start your day. Every Wednesday that we fast for six Wednesdays, 6 a.m., we'll open up a Zoom. Some of you are like, man, I'm up at 3. I apologize, but we can do 6 to 4, 6.45 in the morning. Okay, so we'll have that for you. And then throughout this, um, throughout this journey, we're going to be uh, giving away resources and books in the coming weeks. So if you sign up, here's an incentive. If you sign up, your name's going to go into drawings. So every Sunday, we'll give books, resources away uh, um, for you to help you along the way if you sign up. Amen? And lastly, this 30-day journey um, will not start until next Monday, January 10th. Okay, so we're not just like, oh, got to do it tomorrow. Uh, we wanted to give you this introduction. 
We want to let you go home this week and think about it, give you a chance to sign up online. And then next Sunday, we'll talk about prayer. And then that following Monday, the 30-day journey will begin. One psalm, an hour of prayer, fasting on Wednesdays, and attending on Sundays. Are you with me? And so here's what I want to do. I want to invite the team up. Um, and I'm going to ask you to get your communion cups ready. And uh, if you guys would please just stand with me for a moment. So to conclude today's kind of introduction, we're going to engage in a rhythm. You know that? You know, communion is a rhythm. We do this once a month. It's a rhythm. And what is this rhythm? It's a rhythm of grace. And what is this rhythm of grace doing? Jesus said, do this in what? Remembrance of me. And so what is this this rhythm, like a trellis, is bringing us to a place of abide. It's bringing us to a place of abide. And so I thought there was just no better way to start rhythms of life than to enter into the rhythm of the one who gave us life, Jesus Christ. And so this is a beautiful rhythm. Now the thing about rhythms is they can become routine, right? Eh, it's just communion. We do this every once in a while. But can, I, can we just take a moment right now? Just take a moment. Like this is in remembrance of Christ who's brought freedom and joy and unconditional love and forgiveness closeness with God because of his blood and so before we take this communion would you just take a moment right now as we just worship and we sing would you create a space for this rhythm to connect you to the presence of Christ in this room through his spirit he's here he's here